Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? Very blessed, brother. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Also with us, as always, is the show's producer, Tony Palacio. How are you doing today, bro? Praising God. It's a good day. It is a good day. I I do feel like we haven't been here in a while. I know. You know it's been a while. <laughs> being that uh, we didn't get a chance to record last week. We were in Texas, and it was just a, an awesome trip, and praise God for it, and all of our brothers and sisters there in Texas. And in fact, the thing we're going to be doing today is not about our, our Texas brothers and sisters did not send us this, but... Our brother and sister out in New York did send us this video and ask us to comment on it, specifically some of the statements that were made. And we think it's going to make for a really good show for you guys because the Bible is clear that the first Depletus case does seem right until someone comes over and examines him. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be examining, as we always do on the Good Fight Radio Show, examining any accusation or lofty speculation brought up against the knowledge of God. And we're going to try to bring that thing captive to the obedience of Christ. So that is our goal today. And so we are going to be playing a clip and we're going to talk about it a little bit and then we will uh, continue to exposing the lies that are told in this clip. So let's play it, Tony. Oh my God. I literally want nothing more than for this to be a valid argument, but I'm going to tell you why it's not a valid argument. As a former clergy member, somebody who used to work in the Methodist church, who has a master of divinity, um, I know biblical Hebrew and Koine Greek. I've translated multiple books of the Bible. Um, it's not a valid argument because the word homosexuality is literally does not exist in the original text. Nope. In the 1940s, the word homosexuality was invented by biblical scholars translating the RSV translation in order to propagate homophobia. So it's listed nowhere in scripture, nor does Jesus ever talk about it. And before anybody's like, oh, well, in Leviticus, it talks about man shall not lie with man. Well, first and foremost, an American publishing company did that. That's not in the original text either. Because if you look at the Martin Luther Bible, the German word that it's used is Knaben, which means boy. Talking about pedophilia. So take several seats. Yikes. Um, there's a lot to go off on that. And so I, I am going to read the text and uh, we're, we're going to be I'm talking sorry, about that. I'm sorry, before you go yeah, on, yeah. I have to say, she is, man, she is such a full-blown liar. Man, yeah. she's deceiving who knows how many people and patting them on the back on their way to hell, and it breaks my heart. But go on, bro. No, no, you're, you're exactly right. And the reason why we're touching on this is because it has gone viral. In fact, I talked to multiple people in Texas who recently heard about it. I also talked to our brother in Christ, brother and sister in Christ out in New York, whose daughter saw this on TikTok. And so we, uh, we need to answer it, and we're going to. And so I want to start off where she is claiming, specifically from a text in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But before we even get into the homosexual question, uh, I want to get into something. Joe has done a series, uh, started a series actually, recently on not being deceived. Be not deceived. And one of the biggest things that you're going to see is, we've talked about it over and over on this show, and Joe's talked about it from the pulpit. The fact is, is that when you see a scripture that says, be not deceived, do not be deceived, don't be fooled, 
over and over again. When don't you be look ignorant. At, don't be uninformed. <laughs> yeah. And all every other synonym that is saying the same thing, just go to a church down the street and you can usually guess that that church probably is deceived in at least one or more of those categories. So we're going to read from that. And especially we're going to have Joe not just go through the homosexuality thing, because I, I think that can be a situation where someone just, they spend their entire time and that's their quote unquote ministry. And it's always about homosexuality. But the fact is, is there's a lot of things listed there and we need to go through all of them and also other ways not to be deceived. So I'm going to read first Corinthians six, nine through 10, and you can maybe see how people are deceived in this. And hopefully Joe will even expound much more on that. So First Corinthians 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So, Joe, I don't know. I, I Is there anyone even teaching that... Uh, any of those guys are making it into the kingdom of God right now, those who practice those things? Well, it's quite interesting, uh, Chad, when we look at this text. It's just about as, it's as clear as it can get. You know, and Peter warned that Paul's teachings would be twisted uh, to people's destruction mm. and that false teachers would twist them. And the Greek word twist there is from a Greek word that had to do with being stretched on a rack, tortured. And in the ancient, in the ancient days and today, people are tortured to get them to say things that they wouldn't ordinarily say. Well, the idea there is that Paul's words are being tortured to say what Paul never intended them to say. And that's what false teachers do. And when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and you look at the text, it's so clear. If you practice these things, you will not inherit God's kingdom. So what false teachers often do is they state you can practice those things and you still can inherit the kingdom of God. And it's kind of, it's actually, you know, incredibly heartbreaking when you consider the different methods. And uh, I was just studying a separate study uh, today than, you know, than what we're end up talking about here. And I was looking at spiritual warfare and just thinking about how, how sad so much of the church is so unaware mm. of the spiritual warfare that's going on in their own lives and in their churches and how we need to be prayerful, have our heads out of swivel, be sober, be vigilant for however so the devil walks by his word line seeking someone to devour and so forth. And I was looking at the Greek words uh, for devices, Satan's devices, the devil's devices in uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11. Uh, and a different Greek word that was used in, by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he says to, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, where he states that we're to put on the whole armor of God so we can stand firm, by the way, stand firm is a military term, against the wiles or the methods or the stratagems or the devices of or the schemes, as many translations have it, of the devil. And uh, the Greek word there is methodeia. And uh, this word methodeia, the word method we get from, or method, it's in the plural in the Greek, so Satan has methods, and I was thinking, it's interesting, I did a little word study on that today, and I thought, not realizing, you know, what we're going to even talk about in this episode, I just thought it was interesting. I was thinking, this is an interesting word because it's plural, and it's a, also it has a military context as well, uh, and how the enemy uses methods to, you know, to derail us. And armies would do that. Well, Satan is, we're soldiers in Scripture. We're supposed to put on the armor of God. And it's interesting, that word for methods there, it's only used one other time where the other word that he uses for devices is used six times. And that word is used in the same book, Ephesians 4.14, of false teachers and how they will use different methods to deceive new believers who could be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine if they aren't, you know, taught by apostles, prophecies, evangelists, oh, pastors, teachers. Very interesting. 
because there's that, you know, you know, that whole theme, Chad, the spirit that works with the children of disobedience. Well, he uses teachers. It is interesting little connection. I thought, ah, you know, I've taught on this before, but I didn't see that connection. Quite interesting. Well, then I was thinking of 1 Corinthians 6, because I just started that little series, which will be just two, maybe three messages long. On I already did one, Be Not Deceived, going through those different passages. And I'd never done that before and just looked at all those passages that are just inverted. And I, when I was looking at that, I was looking at the different ways <laughs> that uh, the enemy tries to get around 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. And then I see your text. Hey, we got a question dealing with uh, <laughs> uh, that Greek word, arsenokoitai, which is translated homosexual. And I think it's Malachi, or Malakoi, uh, alte, arsenokoitai. I'm going from memory right now, but that would be the effeminate nor uh, homosexuals will inherit the kingdom of God. Very clear. And the effeminate there has to do with, you know, those on the receiving end of the homosexual act. And the homosexual, in contrast, would probably be both, but also the one who's taking the male position with another male. And we had we don't have time to get into that right now. We'll get into it a little bit later. I'm going to get into some depth into it, I'm sure. But it's interesting. I thought, well, it's interesting that Chad is hitting me up with this because I thought about the different ways that the enemy tries to get around 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Because Satan comes with different methods. And according mm-hmm. to 2 Peter chapter 3, the false teachers twist Paul's words to teach or promote a false form of freedom. And it's interesting, now believers are being taught that they can do all these things, and they'll still go to heaven. Well, how do you get around scriptures like 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, I believe Ephesians 5, 5 through 8, where Paul gives all these vice lists and says, don't be deceived or let no one deceive you with vain words and so forth. Those who practice these things, not those who have fallen short and repent, but those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So as we're looking at that, I thought, I thought, well, there's another one. And I just added to my list uh, by just redefining the words. But we'll get into that. That'll be my last point as we get it. And then we'll expound on that point to answer that question. But so it's interesting, brothers and sisters, we, sisters, we are in spiritual warfare. And the enemy wants you to believe that you can practice rebellion against God, refuse to repent, and still inherit the kingdom of God. So there's various ways that the enemy tries to get around that or tries to put in our minds. By the way, that word devices in the other passage is translated mind often or thoughts. And it has to do with how he attacks our minds and our thoughts. Well, he wants us not to have the mind of Christ. He wants us to have his mind. He wants to engage us in a conversation like he did with Eve and get her to receive his thoughts. So he wants us to believe the very opposite of what 1 Corinthians 6 says. For almost 2,000 years, the Christian church has looked at 1 Corinthians 6, and they said, yeah, if you practice these things, you're not going to heaven. You will not inherit God's kingdom. Well, listen to the six different ways. And there may be more. I don't think there's ever been a list of ways ever assembled. I don't know, maybe, of different ways the enemy tries to get around 1 Corinthians 6. But by the time I was done, well, I had five. And then when Chad texted me, I go, well, there's six. And Chad (laughs) didn't didn't know where this was going, but we're going to hop into the other deal because uh, we have similar hearts and similar ways we look at Scripture. But the first way the enemy tries to get around this passage as a warning is, oh, it doesn't apply to believers. You know, this is this is a you know paranetic warning that has to deal with the non-believers that might go to the church. It's not really to believers at all, which is absolutely ridiculous because all you do is back up to First Corinthians chapter six verse eight, and he very clearly is just addressing the brethren about not how they're not to defraud one another, and then he gives different ways they could defraud each other, whether it's extortion, theft, and he gives this vice list that he warns them against. And there's mostly financial types in there and sexual sin there, and then a little bit later in verses fifteen through twenty. 
That's where he goes. He's definitely talking believers because he says, don't take your body, he says, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and join it with a prostitute and make your a member of Christ. And, you know, it's basically like a God forbid that you should take that which belongs to Jesus, the member of Christ, and become one with a prostitute. Yeah, and, and it's really interesting. I always think of 1 Corinthians 5 before 6. Yeah. You know, and one of the things you're dealing with there is church discipline, obviously, and not sitting down with somebody who's practicing these sins yeah, amen. and then acting as if they're with our, you know, come and eat and everything and everything's fine, but you're supposed to remove them from your midst, you know, an act of love. Yeah. But it's to point out what? That they would not be deceived and think that they could practice these things. And enter God's kingdom. And enter God's kingdom. The context just flows with the biblical context Absolutely. if we actually care about what he's saying there. Absolutely, Chad. So then you go through verses 15 through 20. And he says, no, not that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about believers or the temple of the Holy Spirit, not dragging Jesus into sexual sin. He says, no, you're not that you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. He says, no, you're not that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it's definitely a warning to believers. And I know our Calvinistic uh, friends, they're like, and brothers and sisters, like, no, no, it doesn't really, uh, uh, believers, you know, they could never fall. It must be talking about the professing believers. No, he's warning believers that they could end up in a situation like that. Paul says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall a little bit later. So don't say you can't fall. In fact, Paul said to the Corinthians a few chapters later that I beat my body down. The apostle Paul. Buffet it, yeah. Yeah, I buffet my body so that after I preach the gospel to others, I myself would not be rejected. Greek word, adakamos. Adakamos, yeah. You know, and Paul uses that word to the Corinthians a little bit later. In his second letter, letter chapter 13, verse 5, saying that those who are adakamos do not have Christ. So don't try to soften his warning there, brothers and sisters. He's very, very serious. So that first, that's a lie that people try to get around that, you know, say it doesn't really apply to us. We're showing it's addressed to believers. And the second method is to say, well, true believers could never fall, you know. Well, just read Galatians chapter 5 as well. You know, stand fast, the freedom worth Christ has set you free, and don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Well, that's a it's a present tense imperative to believers who have been set free. And then he warns that if they go to be go back to the law of Moses and they're circumcised that Christ will profit them nothing. They will be cut off from the Christ and they will be, and they will fall from grace. Scriptures over and over again say you can fall. So those are two lies about this passage is, well, guess what? It's not related to believers. Oh, and number two, if you're really a believer, you can't fall away. But we just saw Paul was concerned that he himself could become a docomas. The third way that the enemy tries to get around this passage is probably, you know, this is the one that I would say is probably one of the most popular ways among those who are in the movement where they just turn grace into a, a license and so forth. And that, that is to say, well, inheriting the kingdom of God is different than, you know, uh, entering the kingdom of God. And therefore, you know, <laughs> when he states there that, you know, that, you know, the kingdom of God is, you know, you won't inherit it. Or they'll state, you know, let's be a little more precise in, 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 in outlining this. The third method is that, and this is what I believe the enemy tries to a lot of people, is that, you know, they won't get into the kingdom of God. And we'll go to the other one later. They won't get into the kingdom of God, because I want to parse this a little more. They won't get into the kingdom of God, but they'll still get into the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of heaven. A lot of people teach that in dispensationalism. Yep. So, you know what? You And so, yeah, they'll, they'll miss the kingdom of God and the rewards that are associated with the kingdom of God, but they'll still get into heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Well, the problem with that third viewpoint is that Jesus uses the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven interchangeably. In the parallel text we see from the Synoptic Gospels, uh, you'll see the same teaching is sometimes referred to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But here in the in one specific teaching, just in one of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew 19, 23, we read this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven 
That's in verse 23. Well, guess what he says in verse 24? Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So there he uses the two interchangeably. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. And to take that a little bit further, uh, Matthew over and over again uses kingdom of heaven. Luke and Mark use kingdom of God. Same teachings, same narrative. And if you simply compare Matthew 11, 11 to 12 with Luke 7, 28, or Matthew 13, 24 with uh, Mark 4, 26, or Matthew 13, 11 with Mark 4, 11 and Luke 18, 10, you'll see that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. Sometimes people want to be fancy and say, well, and they want to create these new doctrines. Well, these are actually two different kingdoms. Uh, Jesus used them interchangeably, but these things can become very, very diabolical when you're teaching, oh yeah, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, but you know, the serpent in the garden, you'll still get into heaven because they're two different kingdoms. So bad doctrine leads to bad living, mm-hmm. wrong living uh, when practice leads to hell. Uh, the fourth method is this is where the devil will you say, well, you won't inherit the kingdom of God, but you'll still have eternal life. Because the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, okay, these are the same, but you won't get into that kingdom of God, that kingdom of heaven, and you won't inherit it. But that means you won't inherit the, the blessings of it, but you'll still have eternal life. It's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. It is, Chad. And the problem with that is when you go to Galatians 5, 19 through 21, Paul gives this vice list, gives a lot of the different radical sins they're committing or, or perhaps practicing. And he says, I warn you, even as I warned you before, you know, this is something he did to guard his grace gospel, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And they say, well, that's inheriting, but you still have eternal life. Wrong. Just go to the very next chapter, chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, when Paul says, you know, be not deceived, God is not mocked. He that sows to the flesh, and in 6, 19 and 20, I'm sorry, 5, 19 21, he's talking about those who practice the sins of the flesh. The sins of the flesh are these, and he gives this list. They won't inherit God's kingdom. Well, yeah, but they'll still have eternal life. Wrong. Chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Be not deceived. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. He that sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. But he that sows the spirit from the spirit will reap what? We reap what? Eternal life. Eternal life is contrasted with Eternal life is contrasted with the king, with uh, the flesh, corruption, and guess what we have there? Eternal life is paralleled with the kingdom of God. So really quickly, the next couple, which I'll go through really, really quickly, uh, number five, the fifth method of deception that the devil uses, is he says, well, inherited the kingdom of God and eternal life are the same, but those are not really salvation. I mean, that's how bad it gets. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can have eternal life, and you can have, uh, you can be just, you know, excluded from the kingdom of God, you can be excluded from heaven, Sorry, I'm talking a little fast because I want to get I want to get more in. But guess what? You'll still be saved. Problem with that? When you look at Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler uh, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, we read, and he was sitting, he was sitting out on a journey, and a man came up, ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, uh, what shall I do so that I can inherit eternal life? Well, listen to Matthew 23, a few verses later, or in Mark 10, 23, the same uh same story. And Jesus looking around, said to his disciples, How hard is it how hard it will be for those who who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. So kingdom of God and eternal life are parallel there. Well, yeah, but that's different than salvation. Well, listen to what his disciples said to him in Mark chapter 10, verses uh, 26 and 27. And they were even more astonished and said to him that who can be saved? So they understood eternal life and the kingdom of God to be salvation there. And Jesus doesn't say to him, oh, excuse me, you guys are misunderstanding what I'm teaching here. Uh, Of course they're going to be saved. They're just not going to enter the kingdom of God. 
they're not going to have eternal life, but they're still going to be saved. That's a different realm, a different part of heaven, what have you. No, Jesus declares in the very next verse, looking at them, Jesus said, with people is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So we see in all these various texts that there's five ways we've just shown that Satan tries to deceive us in the very place Paul says, don't be deceived. You will not inherit God's kingdom and make us think we're still going to heaven. Well, a sixth way is to redefine the words and say, you really aren't even on this list because you're practicing homosexual. You're a man that's having sex with other men. You're sleeping with them. And that's okay because guess what? That word, arsenokoitai, uh, uh, actually means one who has sex with boys. Yeah, then that's obviously not what is being taught here. And she went through her a few arguments, so we can go through all of them as, as well, you know, because she had mentioned that, you know, Martin Luther translated this German word from Leviticus, and therefore now we know what it says. But the problem is with that, with Martin Luther's translation, is that Martin Luther was wrong in his translating of that text. In fact, we have not just hundreds, but thousands of years now of Jewish history as well, who look at Leviticus and point directly, Leviticus 18.22, specifically, that has nothing to do with pedophilia. And they speak Hebrew. They don't speak German. <laughs> they don't speak German, exactly. And we're talking about also the Hebrew, and even we have the Masoretic text, right? Which is later than the Septuagint, and guess what the Septuagint has? It is not a little boy. It is not pedophilia. It is specifically homosexuality. It's just absolutely clear. Then the 1 Corinthians 6, 9 uh, through 10, the text specifically we talked about, the word there for homosexuality, we're not even getting into the word for effeminate, which a lot of people would show, as you said already earlier, as you as you went through it, that it probably has to do with both positions, so to speak. Yeah, uh, uh, When it comes to what's going on there, but uh, as Joe already as Joe already talked about that, arseno, it's a compound word, arsenokoitai, and that compound word is from two words, arseno, which simply means male, like a, a man. And the other one, koitai, which actually now, it's very interesting, it's always had a tie to sexuality. And, and in fact, our English world coitus, which means sexual intercourse, intercourse, <laughs> see what happened with the yeah, word there? There's tons of twisters. Inter, intercourse. scripture, bro. Amen. Yeah, that's <laughs> only for that lady to do that. Um, it, it specifically talks about a bed or bedding, or basically what it means is all male bedding. And it's specific to hom homosexual behavior. And the fact that the word homosexual wasn't used, by the way, it wasn't created by homophobic people uh, translating the Bible. That's not a fact. It was actually invented in the 19th century, not the 1900s, but the 19th century. And I believe that was in a conversation regarding uh, Plato, actually, where it was first invented and first used. But either way, if you want to talk about the word that was used before that, it's sodomite. All right. So if you want to use the word sodomite, that's perfectly fine if you want to use that word. And guess what? If you want to go back to the New Testament in terms of sodomite and want to use that as the translation for what was going on in that behavior, remember that if you want to say, oh, well, if we look in Isaiah, it talks about, you know, in Sodom and Gomorrah and so forth, it was actually about their greed and all this, uh, all this stuff. Actually, we have a commentary in the New Testament in Jude specifically that talks about they burned with their sexuality and their wickedness, and that is why they are a an, an example to us for the eternal flames that are coming. That's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and that they would they burned. And so, yeah. guys, this is really really important that we understand this. Romans chapter one, obviously, you're talking about, and and Romans chapter one makes it clear for oh yeah, lesbianism, it homosexuality, and and if you want to go, oh, it doesn't say homosexual. Well, let's have it just spelled out as clear as possible in That's Romans, right. the first chapter. Right, men burning with their lust for one another, men with men, women with women, and so forth. And it's interesting. So you guys, 
really think about what what we're talking about here. Think about what Chad has just said. And we're going to slow it down just for a minute. Yeah, because sorry, we're, we got about No, no, no. I was, I was jamming, yeah. too. And I just want them to make sure you understand the argument here. If the word for homosexual was coined, it was coined by the Apostle Paul, the actual meaning. Yeah. Because he took two words that are found in Leviticus, chapter 18, about two or three times in Leviticus alone, where a man is with another man in bed. And he takes the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was used by Jesus, that was used by the Apostle Paul, and he takes the two words that were used and he puts them together. And you have this new word. There are the word, so if you were reading, for instance, uh, Le- Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, it says, a man shall not lie with a man the way he lives with a woman. How does a man lie with a man? Or how does he lie with a woman? They penetrate, they have sex. A man is not supposed to lay with a man in the same, uh, another man in the same way. So he takes, so in the, in the, literally in Leviticus, and I think it's really interesting in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, because you have these two words right next to each other in the Hebrew. And you have the word arseno, or you have arsen, which means men, A-R-S-E-N is our transliteration, and koitai. And so you have the word a man, okay, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse uh, 13, you have the word for man, and let me just read it. If a man, Hebrew, arson, lies, koitai. You have the word man and lies right next to each other. And in the Greek Septuagint, which Paul and Jesus were using, you would have if a arson, koitai. Those two words, guess what Paul did? He just put those two words together, arsenokoitai. And he coined a new word. So she's right. Christians did invent it, but it was the apostle Paul in the first century under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he invented the word homosexual. So we have our son of Koitai taken right from Leviticus. And guess what? He, by doing this, he couldn't make it clear because anybody who was conversant with the law and he was writing to many, many Jewish believers as well would look at that and they'd say, oh, he's talking about Leviticus, you know, talking about men lying with men in the bed. It basically men means men bedders, men that bed other people in bed. So it's very, very clear that the Apostle Paul is talking about homosexuality. That's why you have all these major translations. The ESV, English Standard Version, adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality. Uh, the NIV, adulterers nor men who have sex with men. The NASB, New York Standard Version, adulterers nor homosexuals. King James or New King James Version, nor adulterers nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. The Net Bible, NET Bible, adulterers, passive homosexual partners. And that's translating uh, Malakoi Malico- right there. Practicing homosexuals, which is Arsenal Koitai. Uh, the Brian Study Bible, adulterers nor men who submit to perform homosexual acts. So it's interesting. You have adulterers nor men who submit to or perform homosexual acts. So you have this over and over and over and over again in Scripture. So I think, and by the way, you also have Paul using this word in 1 Timothy 1.10, yeah. where he talks about how the law is, is given for the rebellious, and it has to do with murderers and slave traders. And guess what he uses? So Paul uses that word twice. Uh, Paul, being a user of the Greek Septuagint, translation of the Old Testament, sees those two words uh, having to do with men betters, men betters, right next to each other in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. And he just joins them together and comes up with a new word so we would understand exactly what he's talking about so we didn't have to be mystified and say something stupid like, well, it refers to men betting boys. Yeah, and just for a real quick uh, debunking of the nonsense that Jesus never spoke to this, a couple things. We're mentioning Leviticus specifically because Jesus did what? He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it quite clearly. Also in in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus affirmed the marrying of a man and a woman cleaved together back to the creative order that has always been there. Yeah, in Matthew 19, 4, since you brought that up, Chad, have you read, Jesus said, 
uh, that in the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and a mother will be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, God, what has God has joined together, let no one separate. I think this is just, and you just look at the anatomy of male and female. They come together, they bring forth beautiful life. Two men come together, it's heartbreaking. They bring forth death. Death. All sorts of diseases come out of that. It's, it was not meant to be. Hebrews 13, 4 says, marriage, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And the most important part here, when you go back to 1 Corinthians 6, you have to read verse 11, because it's the most important part. Such were some of you. Shows, you showed us addressing believers. You were sanctified, and, and because of addressing believers, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. If you turn to him, repent, and are not a practicing homosexual, adulterer, fornicator, and so forth, you will find grace. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.